Lord, we pray over the rest of this service. Father, we pray that everything that we would do here this morning would bring glory and honor to you as we sing songs to you, Lord. May they be pleasing in your ears as we offer up praise. May they bring glory to you. And as we come to your word, Lord, we also pray that our reception of your word would bring you glory. Because, Father, we, we come to your word because we need to hear you speak. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. And so we pray that you would do that now as we come to your word, that, that you would overcome anything inside of us that would prevent us from hearing your word accurately, any of our fears or frustrations or anxieties or worries about the future, Lord, that you would just come in and, and calm and settle those so that we could hear you speak. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So our passage this morning is the rest of Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. And remember, our last passage, the end of the story ended with Ruth had lost her husband, she had lost her sons, and they were in Moab. And then we read, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each one of each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, Goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister in law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, anyone who's ever been in a relationship with anybody else, which is all of us, (laughs) knows that relationships require patience, especially being in a committed relationship or what the Bible calls a covenantal relationship. You know, a covenantal relationship is a relationship that where we make promises to one another, right? We, we make a promise. We're going we're to be together in sickness and in health for better or for worse, richer or poorer. And we know that we make those promises when we get married, but we actually also make very similar promises when we join a church when we enter into other relationships, and those, those promises just kind of come baked right in as, as we have kids. <laughs> we never sit down and make this conversation with our kids, but the reality is they're not going anywhere, and neither are you. And so patience is required. Because when you're, when you're committed to, to sticking things through, you have to be patient or that relationship's not going to work. Um, and, and if there's an opportunity to just kind of walk away when things get tough, then patience isn't required, right? Because you can just walk away. But when you're stuck, <laughs> and I use that word, when you're just stuck together and things don't go the way you want them to go, you have to be patient or it's, or it's not going to work. And, and the clearest covenantal relationship that's ever been throughout the history of the world is a relationship between God and His people. Where God has made promises to His people and it's this promise that comes up over and over and over throughout the Bible. It comes all the way towards the beginning of Genesis and we hear it again at the end of Revelation in the new heavens and the new earth where He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We become a Christian when we, when we give our lives to God and we trust Him. We actually make that same kind of a commitment to God, don't we? We say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we, we know that we're not going to do that perfectly, but we're, we're promising to live that way. And that's really what we talked about at the beginning of the service when we read the Heidelberg Catechism. There's this question, it says, what's involved in genuine repentance or conversion, right? What does it mean? What does it look like when we, when we give our lives to God, when we say, I'm going to be part of your people and I want you to be my God? It says we're genuinely sorry for sin and more and more hate and run away from it. And it, it's a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. And I think you could even shorten that and say it's a commitment to never leave God nor forsake Him. I'm going to try. I'm I'm going to keep turning away from sin because I know that's going to destroy me and I'm going to keep turning to you and grabbing hold of you as much as I can. And yet, we know we don't do that perfectly, right? Often often we find ourselves, rather than turning away from sin and, and holding on to God, we find ourselves turning away from God and holding on to our sin. And so that means that God has to repeatedly show us patience. 
Uh, we see that in the book of Judges. Right? Last week we talked about that the story of Ruth happens during the period of the Judges. And it's this really depressing story of God's people just doing what's right in their own eyes, turning away from God, getting themselves into trouble. And it happens over and over and over again. And you almost expect there to come a point where God says, you know what? I'm done with you. <laughs> you guys just keep getting worse and I'm just done with you. But He doesn't. They, they, they get themselves in a bunch of trouble. They get themselves into a mess and they say, ah, help! And God says, alright. And He comes in and He helps them. And they go, yay God! And then the next day they go, ah, forget about you. And they go off and do what they want to do again. And God shows patience over and over and over again. And it's interesting that as you read through Scripture, that question comes up repeatedly. People asking God, God, why are you so patient with sin? But interestingly, as as I wrote that, I thought, actually, the question usually is, why are you so patient with that person's sin? (laughs) Usually we hear, God, I'm really thankful <laughs> you're being patient with my sin. I'm, I'm thankful that you haven't, you know, come down on me yet. But, but what about that person? Like, do something about that. And uh, thankfully, the Bible gives us an answer for both. Why God's patient with your sin and why God's patient with other people's sin. Um, it comes in the book of Romans. and The Apostle Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's why God is kind and patient with sin, because it's meant to lead you and others to repent, to turn to Him. And it's important because we have this tendency to think that God's patience toward us is actually His acceptance of what we're doing. We, We don't say it explicitly, but... Um, we, we have this tendency to go, I'm going to do this. I don't think God's happy with it. And then I keep doing it and nothing's happened to me yet, so He must be okay with it. Um, almost kind of deep down inside we're thinking, well, if God hasn't disciplined me or judged me yet, He must be okay. And yet this is telling us, no, God hasn't disciplined you or judged you for your sin yet because He's wanting His patience to lead you back to repentance. And that's really what we see at the beginning or at this part of the book of Ruth. We see God's patience leading people to repentance in a way. Because remember, last, thing, last week things looked really bleak. We, we reminded this whole story takes place, a period of judges, things are a mess. We see this family of God turn their backs on God and wander off in a foreign land, putting their trust there, doing what's right in their own eyes. We see the husbands and sons, the husband and sons of Naomi die, and the whole thing screams faithlessness. They're not really trusting in God. And so it's dark. And yet, as things are kind of at the darkest point, a little light comes on the horizon when the story turns. And we read that Naomi arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. All of a sudden, there's kind of a spark of hope. The Lord had come to his people and he had given them food. And the question that should come up right away is, did they deserve it? No. 
The famine was sent, right? The famine was sent to turn His people back to Him, to get them to repent and turn to God. But they hadn't repented, and, but God still came in and said, all right, I'm giving you food. They didn't turn back to Him, so God shows His patience to them, and He shows up with His people, and He, he, he ends the famine and brings them food, which is just continuing to remind us of God's faithfulness. He's faithful even when we're not faithful. But remember, all of, I want to make sure we get all of this kind of connected because remember, we already said that when God's patient, His patience is meant to lead us to repentance. But I mentioned last week that the famine was there to lead them to repentance as well, right? It, it's kind of like this one-two punch of discipline and mercy and, and patience and God's kind of working things to bring people back to Himself so that they would turn around. And we actually see it work here. That's what brings Naomi back. Um, and we see Naomi repent. And, and on the one hand, it's, it's clear, but on the other hand, we miss some of the keys that they're sending us because um, just Hebrew and English are different. But, but when we read up here in English, it says she, she returned from the country of Moab. That Hebrew word actually can be translated repent. The same word. She repented from Moab. She turned away from trusting in this other country, these other gods, and she turned away from that. And then in the very next verse, it says, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went the way and repented to the land of Judah. And so twice, in two verses, it uses the word repent. Showing that Naomi was heading this way, heading off to Moab, doing her own thing, doing what's right in her own eyes, and then eventually... She turned, repented, and started heading back to God. The imagery is clear that she's, she's coming back to God. She's turning away from faithlessness and coming back to God and saying, all right, you're going to be my God, and I'm going to be with your people. It's similar to the parable of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son goes off to a foreign land, Things don't go well for him. He's left empty with nothing. And so he gets up, he repents, and he returns to his father. And, and we're expecting this with Naomi, right? We're like, all right, she was in a faraway land. She's coming back to her God. There's going to be celebration and joy. And then we read uh, her and Ruth. They went on. They came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? And I think this phrase causes people to miss sometimes Naomi's repentance. We think, hold on a sec, did she really repent? She seems angry at God. There's no joy. There's no celebration. There should be partying, dancing in the streets. How can she say, don't call me pleasant, which is what Naomi means, but call me bitter if she's repentance, repent, if she repented? Um, and here's the quick and easy answer. Her husband and her kids just died. <laughs> she's still grieving. She's still mourning. Life is really difficult. And so 
That's why there's no celebration in this moment. That's why there's not even maybe this massive outworking of joy. That's why she wants her name changed because she's grieving the loss of her husband and her two sons. And one of the things that I've missed over the years, and I think a lot of people miss, is when she changes her name, that's not to necessarily, I don't think it's describing her own feelings, it's describing her situation. She says, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She doesn't say, call me Mara, because I'm bitter against my God. That's not what she says. She says, call me Mara, because that describes my life situation right now. It's bitter. It's tough. It's not pleasant. My life isn't pleasant. It's not all rah-rah, shishkumba. It's tough. It's not what I would want. It's not what I would choose. But she's still turning back to her God. It's what um, some people have called it her bitter faith, and I don't think that sends the right connotation, but I would call it her bitter sweet faith. And you can see her faith throughout all of this. Um, just the fact that she turned from a foreign country and went back to be with God and her people is a sign of faith. It's a sign that she's trusting in God once again to meet her needs. And even, even when she's talking about um, her bitter life situation, she's using the Lord's personal covenantal name. If, if you ever come through your Bible and you read Lord and it's all in caps like that, that's, that's the English way of saying that they're using the name Yahweh. This personal covenantal relational name of God. And so she's not saying that God over there that I don't care about did all of this. She said, she's saying, my God. My God brought this upon me. My God's hand has been against me. And it almost has that feel of Jesus on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he still called him my God. There's still faith there. And it's even more interesting that as she's talking to her daughters-in-law, and she's trying to send them back home, she actually prays God's blessing over them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord grant that you find rest. Like She recognizes that the God, God is the one that can bring blessing. God is the one that can bring rest. And so she has this faith. And it's really the faith of Job. I was thinking this week. I mean, remember Job's reaction, right? Job is another person in the Bible who lost everything. And when he found out he had lost everything, just like Naomi had lost everything, he, he fell on his face and he cried out, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I don't think he said that joyfully. I think he said that through weeping and tears that could barely get the words out of his mouth. And then just in case we weren't sure, the, it says, in everything that Job said, he didn't sin. He didn't charge God with wrong. And you see the same kind of a thing coming out of Naomi's mouth. On the one hand, Naomi's saying, the Almighty has brought calamity on me. He is taken away. And yet, May the Lord deal kindly with you. The Lord can bring blessing. The Lord can bring cursing. But He's my God. I trust Him. And, 
And it's easy for us to miss that, but I think that's one of the main points of this part of the story is, is Naomi's repentance, that she's got this, I'm holding on to God because there's nowhere else for me to hold. I've tried grabbing in all these other places and there's nothing left for me to hold on to, and so I'm grabbing hold of my God and trusting Him. But there's another repentance that happens. We see Naomi's kind of bittersweet repentance. And then we see, before that, we see her traveling down the road with her daughters-in-law. And as they get down the road, she eventually looks at her daughters-in-law and says, you know, you guys really should just turn around and head back home because I've got, I've got nothing to offer you. I've got no, no way to help you. I'm empty. I can't, I can't care for you. I can't help you. Just, just go back home. And they say, no, we're going to stick with you. We're going to care for you. And then she lays out this kind of, uh, everybody sees this irrefutable argument. The daughters can't argue with her about it, right? Which, which is really ironic because if you know the rest of the story. But she lays out this irrefutable argument and says, listen, even if I find a man today, and we're still on the road, we're not even there yet. Even if I find a man today and I get pregnant today and I have a boy today, are you going to wait around until he's old enough to marry you and care for you? And, and even if you did, would you still be able to have kids? I mean, come on. I've got nothing for you. Just go back home. It doesn't make any sense for you to follow me. And so Orpah does. Orpah turns around and she goes back home. And it's interesting, the author never says that she does the wrong thing or that she just did the, the reasonable thing. But Ruth does something else. R- Ruth, Ruth repents. And this is kind of the repentance that everyone's looking for, right? Naomi's saying, go back home. That's what makes sense. And Ruth looks her in the eye and she says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. I just love the next line. Maybe because I have a bunch of stubborn women in my home. But when, when, Naomi, saw, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she just kept her mouth shut and went on. <laughs> Been there, done that. That's not in my notes, but that's good. Anyways, I love this stubborn determination of Ruth, though. We all like it where Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere. And, and there's been a lot of talk about what Ruth said, and I just want to focus on one line that I think is really the heart of it. I said at the beginning, remember that this promise between God and His people, this, the center of that covenant is God saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And nothing's going to change that. And right in the middle of this sentence, Ruth says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. The same words, just coming from her. She says, I'm going to be part of your people. I'm here. Nothing's going to separate me from your people. And you're going to be my God, and nothing's going to separate me from you being my God. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Not even Naomi's going to make her turn back. And what, here's what I find really interesting about that. 
I mean, it's moving, right? It moves my heart just reading this stubborn, determined faith. But just take a moment, pull yourself out, and put yourself in Ruth's position at this point in time. And then ask yourself, what in the world would make Ruth commit to following God so strongly? She's a Moabite. She had never heard of him. The only thing that she has heard about God so far is from the words of Naomi. And Naomi has said, the Lord has taken everything away from me. He's dealt bitterly with me. And you think, well, that doesn't sound real attractive. Why would, why would Ruth commit to a God that, that took everything away from Naomi and dealt bitterly with her? And why would that make Ruth commit so strongly, I'm not going anywhere, and this is going to be my God? And as unsatisfactory of an answer this is, we don't know. <laughs> it, it never tells us why. A lot of people have guesses. They say, well, Naomi's family must have told her all of the stories about God, and she got to know this God through their stories, but that doesn't really fit because Naomi's family had turned away from God. We're wandering faithlessly in the desert, away from God. It doesn't seem like they would tell stories. And others say, well, it's, she's turning to God because she sees God providing food for his people, and he's the provider, and he's patient. Maybe. But we're never told why. And I think that's actually the point. The one thing that comes up over and over and over again in this passage is that God is in control. He gives, He takes away. He brings blessing, He brings cursing. He brings famine, He brings harvest. He gives, He takes away. And so, why would Ruth commit to Him? Because God's in control and He's got a big plan He's bringing forward. And God called her and said, Ruth, I want you. And Ruth said, I'm all in. And nothing's turning me back. I'm, I'm, I'm in I'm willing to leave my friends, my family, my country, my gods, everything that I trusted in, every support system that I've ever had in my entire life, Ruth said, gone. I'm going with you, Naomi, and you've got nothing. But your God has everything. And it's because God called her. And, and we love that. I mean, and that's, that's like I said, that, that moves our heart, right? That kind of a faith, that kind of repentance. We love to tell stories about that kind of repentance, right? I've got friends of mine who were alcoholics for a number of years, and God convicted them, and they got on their knees, and they said, Lord, forgive me, I'm yours, I'm, your, I'm, I'm not going to fight you anymore. And boom, that moment on, never struggled with alcoholism again. And I think, that's powerful, that's beautiful. But we focus on those which are beautiful and powerful, and we sometimes forget the beauty of Naomi's repentance as well. Because it's kind of boring on the outside. It's not flashy. It's not, doesn't seem to be glorious and majestic and powerful, but, but it is. There's a real beauty in someone who has lost everything turning around and holding on to their God and saying, this stinks. I don't like it. This feels bitter. But you're my God and I trust you. That's a beautiful repentance. That's powerful. And I don't want us to forget that. 
And, and when Ruth turned, uh, who knows if she had been converted before this moment or this was like her public profession of faith. But either way, when, when she turned to God and she said, I'm turning from my gods and I'm turning to you, God, the angels rejoiced and threw a party in heaven. Um, and the same thing happened when Ruth turned back and said, this kind of stinks, but I trust you, God. The angels threw a party in heaven and said, yeah. She repented. And, and the point is that repentance isn't always this big, showy, majestic. It doesn't even always feel good. Sometimes it feels great. Other times it doesn't feel good at all. And yet you know it's good. And it's the right thing to do. And it's reminding us the heart of repentance is just turning away from sin, turning away from anything that we've trusted in apart from God, and just grabbing hold of Him. And sometimes we grab hold of God with this stubborn, joyous determination like Ruth, and we're excited about what the future has to hold. And other times we crawl on our hands and knees and grab hold of God by the ankles and say, I can't hardly even hold on to you, just, but I'm here. And both forms of repentance are beautiful and powerful and glorious. And there's something behind that because there, there's something that we wrestle with. We, we kind of ask ourselves, we don't say it explicitly, especially if we've been in the church for a while, but if you've talked to somebody who's, who's an atheist and could care less about offending God, they say, why would I trust him? This person's been there for me. This person's been there for me. My job is provided. Why would I trust God? I mean, why would I get rid of all of that and trust him? We even have that a little bit in our own selves. That's why we don't fully trust him, because we wonder, can I, can I really trust him? Is he going to provide for me? Can I get rid of everything and, and hold on to him? And the passage that I've been thinking about, I found really powerful this week, comes in Romans. And it says, our God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with Christ, graciously give us all things? And the reminder is God has been faithful in the past. He'll continue to be faithful. God has continued to show His patience to a fallen people who turn away from Him. He just sticks with you and says, I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God keeps providing for His people's needs in the midst of all of this. And He provided for our, most, our biggest need, whether we recognize it or not, which is the forgiveness of sins. And he was willing to even send his own son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And this passage says, if he's willing to do that, are we going to question whether he's able to provide some of these other much smaller needs for us? Provide for us tomorrow with food or a job? Or Do we really want to question whether we can trust him? And the answer is, no, we don't need to question. He's there. He's faithful. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so the call is to stop trusting in all of these other things. Turn away from them and grab hold of God. If you're in a good place, grab hold of Him and be excited about the future. But if you're so tired and wore out and you feel like you have nothing, grab hold of Him with whatever strength you have left. And if you don't think you have strength, ask God to give you enough strength. He will hold on to you. Because He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let's pray.
Father, we are just, I'm, I'm awestricken by your faithfulness. When I recognize my own faithlessness, my own tendency to struggle and fall away, and yet I see you as my rock, always there, caring for me, protecting me. I'm in awe. I give you thanks. And Father, as, as your people, we, we come before you and we ask your forgiveness because we often don't trust you to provide for our needs. We often look to our own strength or so many other things. And we question whether you will. Sometimes we question your ability. So we ask your forgiveness, Lord. But we pray that you would, you would pound this into our heart, that you are the God that provides for his people, you are the God who cares for his people, and that you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, for all of us here, we pray that you would move in our hearts and draw us back to you. In whatever way we're at, Lord, if we are a Ruth here and we've never given our lives to you, Lord, call us to you in that powerful way so that we will leave everything and follow you. But for those of us here this morning who feel empty and lost and weak and weary, Lord, grab hold of us and pull us to yourself and hold on to us. And give us strength to make it through, Lord, because we trust you in that as well. And Father, may you use all of this, whatever difficulties we're at, whatever, wherever we're at, Lord, we pray that you would use that to bring you glory in the world, that you would use that to cause people to turn to you and trust you and receive salvation in you. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.